The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Luke, chapter 6. And we'll be reading together from what is called Christ's Sermon on the Plain. The context of this is that uh, Jesus Christ has been preaching around and uh, opposition has risen up against him in response to his preaching. So he's gathered quite a crowd around him at this point in time and uh, with the increasing opposition, he knows that these, this little flock that's under his care is going to need care and need support. And so he first praised his heavenly father Then he raises up leadership from among them in appointing the 12 apostles. Apostles being those, uh, his ambassadors, you might say, uh, those who are sent out. And then he heals them and he preaches them. So power goes out from him in healing them and power goes out from him through the gospel that he preaches to them. And that brings us to... Luke 6, verses 27 to 36. Second portion of Christ's Sermon on the Plain that we're covering today. Here our Lord Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good. And lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. So far, the words of Scripture. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this morning I could begin by telling you of a story of someone who suffered terribly, someone who suffered under the actions of someone else, and with with great courage, under that suffering, showing kindness to them, that person managed to turn around and put up with suffering long enough for that other person to realize what they were doing and wake up. But the truth of the matter is that while we might admire such a person's courage, And while we might celebrate the the fact of someone who's oppressing, waking up to the damage that they are causing, that's not our first reaction 
when we read our passage today. When we read our passage today, our first reaction is more likely from a human perspective to be, that seems like terrible advice. That sounds like a, a good way to be re-victimized. Even in the best case scenario, where we hope for a more positive outcome for someone else in that situation who's, who's trying to live out what is being said here, our, our gut response can be, well, good for them, but for me this seems unreachable. This doesn't seem realistic to me. What Jesus is saying from a, a human perspective can feel like either terrible advice or an unrealistic expectation. But today I want to look at what exactly our Lord is teaching us through what he's saying. Not to stop with the first three, four verses of the text that we're reading today, but to see it within its full context of what he is reading, what he is saying. So today we'll look at this under the following theme, kingdom citizens marked by mercy. We'll see, first of all, who he's talking to. Secondly, what he's saying. And third, how we can see this unfolding. So in our passage today, Christ is preaching about the kingdom of heaven that's breaking its way into this world. The members of this kingdom, the citizens of this kingdom, live in a certain way. And he is preaching to those who are members and citizens of this kingdom. Christ is teaching them how to live. The first thing he does is deal with the opposition that's mentioned already in verse 11 of this chapter. There are those who are filled with rage and discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. And there's no question as to what they might do. Oh, they want to hurt him. They want to hurt him. People are filled with rage and making plans to destroy him and anyone who supports him. So, who are these people that he's preaching to today? Who is this crowd that listens to him, who would follow him in living like kingdom citizens? The hearers are Christ's disciples. Not just the immediate 12 whom he named apostles, but the crowds who have been following. A mix of those who are faithful adherents to what he's teaching, and also hear, hearers and miracle seekers from all the villages around. But now that organized oppression has begun, the people who are following Jesus Christ are facing those who hate Christ and are openly plotting against him and who will be acting on it soon. As time goes on, his followers are going to be put out of synagogues. They're going to be challenged. They're even going to be abused for following him. So the oppressors here are those who have a religious difference of opinion and the hearers are those who are following Jesus Christ. The point that's being challenged is the question of following him. 
And the desired outcome that Jesus is expressing here is showing mercy to that person with a long-term view of perhaps also winning that person over to Christ. But most of all, to honor the name of his Father in heaven. Now, it's important to recognize what's being dealt with here today. This isn't about any abuse. This isn't about any oppression. This is specifically about abuse for the sake of the name of Jesus. In other cases of oppression in the church, we would follow the steps of Matthew 18. We would follow accountability. We would not put up with that kind of thing. Context is everything here. We look at verse 22 of our passage today and we see, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name for the Son of Man's sake. So that's the focal point. Those who are being addressed and those who are doing the oppression. And to put flesh on what he's teaching those whom he is addressing, he gives four very real examples to them. He says, first, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. This seems to have had to do with excommunication in the synagogue. This is what those oppressors would do to the people that they were dealing with. It was a ritual slap marking your exclusion from communion with those in the synagogue. And he's saying, but this shouldn't stop you from loving and serving even those who rejected you. So the one who takes your cloak, don't withhold your tunic. This was a picture of a robber on the roads. Mission work required travel on dangerous roads infested by robbers. But this shouldn't stop you from loving those and serving even those who rob you. Next are two points, two sides of the same coin. To the one who asks of you, give to them. Don't demand back what has been taken. Lending without expectation of return to those who are in need And again, if somebody owes you and acts out against you, not demanding back in retribution for what they've been doing when they are living through a time of need. If someone who oppressed you was was in need and they came to you in desperation and there's no other person to turn to, this is not the time for revenge. To the one who asks you, give to them. It's the time to love and serve even those who wronged you. Don't demand back what has been taken. An absence of retribution. Paying back for a wrong. Not demanding payback even when something is taken. Whether it's taken or taken in a loan. That's the time to love and serve even those who took from you. Regardless of whether or not they oppress you. And again, we have to look at who Jesus Christ is preaching today to understand how they would receive this. And this is absolutely flabbergasting to us that Jesus would preach this. But it's even more so in Christ's day because of who the audience was. Because consider the time period in which Jesus is teaching this. Many of the people who are following him are under the thumb of the Romans. The Romans who are despised as pagans. 
The people who he's teaching to and the people who he's preaching to, they proudly celebrate the Maccabeans. The Maccabeans were a group that led a revolt against the oppression of the Greek empire that had come before the Romans. The rebel group that overthrew specifically religious oppressors in the not-too-distant past. There were some movements in Judaism in this day that considered it a requirement to take revenge against religious oppressors. And you can find evidence of that in documents discovered at, for example, a place called Qumran, that the right to hate one's religious enemies was a given. Think again about who Jesus Christ had called to be specifically his disciple. Simon the Zealot was in that group. Simon the Zealot, mentioned in verse 15, this was pretty much the summary of his whole political movement that he had been a part of before he joined Jesus. To hate your religious oppressors. Hate your enemies. So you have Christ's enemies actively preparing to go up against them. Verse 11. You have this audience that's been living in an environment that's shaped them to, if not actually act out against religious oppressors, to at least allow them the right to hate them. And now Christ's words are not to hate them, but to do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And considering who they are, you can almost imagine their response. What madness is this? And yet that's the central ethic of Christ's kingdom. Love for your neighbor and love even for those who oppose you for being a follower of Christ. The ethics of the world are to be surpassed by kingdom citizens. What could possibly motivate you to such a radical life? This brings us to our second point. Christ is pretty clear here in response to the reaction of the people that he's preaching to, knowing his audience, knowing his little flock that he's preaching to. He says, look, everyone does good to those who do good to them. Someone is nice to you, you're nice back. Someone's going through a hard time, but to you, you know that they're good for a loan, you like them, and you know that they'll pay you when they're back on their feet, so you lend them money. You're no different from anybody else when you do that. But Christians are not to be like that. Christians are marked by this. Christians are marked by doing good even to those who hate and despise them. This is a different ethic that I am teaching you here. Now again, as as we look at this on the surface, it looks like you're just setting yourselves up to be re-victimized. And this tracks with how some people in our world today, even Christians, look at Christianity. Sometimes there's this idea that Christians are just just looking to be victims and somehow you'll get more points in the kingdom of heaven if you get oppressed enough, if you get beaten down enough. But that's not the point at all. 
that Christ is teaching here. Rather, the point is that Christians are to be marked by mercy, whatever happens. Be merciful as your heavenly Father also is merciful. The reason for this command is that we, as believers, as followers of Christ, can reflect the very character of God, the one who not only acts merciful, but the one who is merciful. It's who he is, full of mercy. His very nature is full of mercy. Why are you looking at other people like this? Well, in the first place, look at how Christ looked at the people that he was preaching to. For those who only had one life, for those who were living their best life now. You can see that in verses 24 to 26. Look at how Christ preached to those who were celebrating just the few years that we have here on earth with joys, but also with the sin and brokenness. For those whose joys are temporary, who are trying to find their full satisfaction on this planet in the here and now, what does he say to them? He says, woe. It's a cry. It's an exclamation. It's a cry of pain and of grief. Because he's looking at life from an eternal perspective. He's talking about suffering in light of the long view. He's talking about, in this first part of his sermon, how there will come a day when all of the things that his followers are facing will come to an end. But for those who are doing what these people are doing that he's concerned about, what they have done, there are eternal consequences for those actions. And that's why he cries out, woe to them. For those who have excluded them, reviled them, cast out their name as evil, those who have hurt them, there are eternal consequences for those actions. And for Christians, that in itself, in the first place, should be a reason for mercy and compassion because you know what lies ahead. In verse 23, you know that there is an eternal reward in store for you that they can't touch. And so you are, by God's grace, by God's strength, fixed on Christ and fixed on eyes, fixed on heaven, able to continue through this world. But you know what lies ahead for them as well. And so you're not going back to this situation to re-victimize yourself. You're striving to reach out to a people who are headed off a cliff. You are going to reach out to a people to win them for eternity. Suffering is not something that Christ's followers in the crowd around him were just to put up with patiently. And just by the act of suffering, gain more points for themselves in heaven. Suffering had a purpose. They were called to reach out deliberately and purposefully to reflect the very character of God. When you're reaching out 
with purpose. When you're reaching out with purpose instead of just bearing up under things, that changes things. That changes you. In the first place, you're not alone. Christ and your fellow believers are there at your side. You're joined together as children of the Most High God. In the second place, you are doing it with purpose. Mercy and love are there. When you are bearing up under opposition like the disciples of Jesus faced there, there's a very real opportunity to respond with hatred, with anger, and with bitterness. And in many cases, you could say that this is exactly what's deserved for the person on the other end, that they had it coming, and from a human perspective, nobody would disagree with you on that. But when you, by leaning on Christ, are deliberately reflecting the character of God, choosing to set aside those things and reflect the very character of God in this world that shapes you, that forms you into a different person, a person who looks more and more like Jesus Christ. Being made into a new creation, into the image of Christ, you are then able to show the world by your actions how God had originally created the world to be and how one day God will restore the world to be. A world apart from sin and a world apart from suffering in some small way, you are able to reflect this back to the world. But there are two things that we ought to know in response to this. The first is that it's not going to be easy. And in the second place, that you may not get the results that you are hoping for. Christ himself, in the first place, that it's not going to be easy. Christ himself points this out very plainly at the end. You're going to expect rejection along the way. You're going to expect opposition, he says. That's the whole point of it. They will exclude you, revile you, cast out your name as evil in the earlier part of his sermon, verse 22. And yet, knowing this, he says, do reach out in mercy. Why? Because your heavenly Father did the same with you. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the thankful, unthankful, and the evil. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Christ is making a sidelong reference not to the people that his audience is facing, but to you and to me. To the people that are hearing his word. You and me, we see this brokenness in the world and we as Christians can see it probably more, more clearly than many other people seeing how things ought to be. Being Christians, we know 
that God created everything good. In his initial creation, everything was perfect. How it fell into sin and how it became this mess that it so often is and how far it is from what it was created to be. And yet, despite knowing that, we still find ourselves contributing to making things worse from a day-to-day basis. Being bitter, being petty, rushing to judgment, losing our patience in ways big and small. But here's the incredible thing. We have been marked we have been laid claim to by the one who is merciful to us. Despite all of that, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are marked as sons and daughters of the Most High. It says you will be sons and daughters of the, or sons of the Most High. Notice, will be doesn't mean you will become. But here it's used in the sense of you will show that you are sons of the Most High. If you live out what Jesus is saying here, you're living out something that has already been shown to you and what is currently from day to day being shown to you that despite unthankfulness and despite evil, God has shown you kindness. This isn't something that we just find in Scripture either. Members of our church, you and I, we have this in our confessions as well. Chapter 3, 4, Article 11 of our Canons of Dort says that it's God who opens the closed, who softens the hard heart. He is the one who shows us kindness. If you remember here, this is one of the things that you also acknowledge at your profession of faith, that Christ has done this for you. You've recognized your own sins and shortcomings and your daily sins and shortcomings and confessed the Lord's amazing grace towards you. And through what Christ calls you to, you now have an amazing opportunity, he says, to embody this very same part of the character of God before the world. Again, not to become sons and daughters of God, but to show the sonship of God. If you do these things that Christ calls you to, you are being his image bearers, bearing the image, the stamp, the imprint of the one who did this for you. Now, does this mean that they will change? If God chooses to show the same grace to them as he did to you and me, then yes. Just as he opened your closed heart, just as he softened your hard heart, he can do the same with them. but not necessarily. Sometimes we still bear up under the scorn of others. But there is one thing that you can know. By God's grace, you have changed. You have changed as you reach out because you have changed because you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. This brings us to our third point. The response to this can be, it's easy to say that if you haven't suffered anything yourself. Anything in a big sense. What if you struggle with this? 
What if this seems impossible to you? Do you feel ruled out by Jesus Christ as worthy for the kingdom of heaven? Jesus Christ is preaching to a very mixed crowd of disciples here. He's not preaching to supermen. He's not preaching to people who can easily take this to heart and go out into the world. He's preaching to broken sinners like you and me. Again, think of Simon the Zealot, whose entire movement that he had been a part of in before following Christ was based on hating your religious enemies and driving them out with a sword. Think of Peter, who himself bought a sword. And at the moment of Christ's arrest, over the course of his whole life, even at the moment of Christ's arrest, having been with Jesus for those three years of ministry and having heard all of that, was still swinging a sword at those who were these very religious opponents that Jesus was responding to. We're all weak and weary. We all are in need of the power flowing from Jesus Christ. Power shown in his healing of the crowds, verse 19, right before this sermon and that goes out from him to his people also through his gospel message. This isn't putting up with suffering. This is about leaning on the healing, redeeming, and transforming power of Christ. Do you recognize your own need in what Christ says? Having heard what he says, do you come to him looking for that power that flows out from him? Looking for that grace to model the character of God in this world? happen if you come to Jesus looking for that power. Consider these passages. Ephesians 4, 5, or 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. This isn't something that's necessarily immediately a reality in our lives. And so we come to Jesus looking for that power. We come to Jesus looking to grow. We come to Jesus in repentance. Come to Jesus seeking to grow in the grace that he's given us. We don't serve him and love him with the zeal and diligence that we so often want. But this is why we are coming to him. This is the very reason that we are coming to him. We're looking to him for power. And in that power that he works out in our lives, as we grow, we look to him for courage and strength to model our Father's mercy in this world. 
and come to him for his infinite patience and love as the one who shows us kindness. Amen.